welcome to episode one of Properly Freelance. Hopefully you've listened to my short intro already and you know what's going on so we can dive straight in. I do want to say that the sound on this first episode isn't perfect. I know you're not supposed to open with an apology but this podcast is about being honest and hey this was my first time recording an interview. One of the mics is not quite as good as the other so I wanted to let you know that this will be improved for future episodes. However my guest Sarah Wyler is amazing and our topic imposter syndrome is really fascinating so I hope you enjoy the episode. So this is episode one of Properly Freelance, and I'm very excited to be joined by Sarah Wyler. Hello, Sarah. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on and being my guinea pig, because um, it's the first time I've ever made a podcast, so we'll be talking about that a bit later, about how terrifying that is, um, and other things in the world of freelancing that are a bit terrifying. But let's find out a little bit about Sarah first. Um, Can you tell us in a few sentences what you do, Sarah? So I'm a facilitator. And I set up a company a few years ago called Power of Uke, where I run workshops using the ukulele in the business world. And I also run a comedy night and perform comedy and also training to be a coach. And you're also quite a successful speaker. You've been doing lots of speaking recently, conferences, TEDx talks, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, so in my eyes, a very successful freelancer. which is one of the reasons why I wanted to get you onto this first episode. And we will be listening to hopefully one of your songs during the episode as well. And you might be hearing a little bit of one of Sarah's songs as a little bit of theme music throughout the podcast. Could you just say a little bit about how you kind of uh, got to this point in your freelance journey and your career? Mm. Yeah, I was realising that it's been nearly five years since I've been freelance. Um that will be yeah in January it'll be five years and beforehand when I came out of uni I was a secondary school teacher so I did the teach first scheme and then I always had full-time jobs um when I I went traveling to Columbia in autumn 2013 and when I came back to London someone offered me a part-time teaching job so that was one of my first experience of being freelance because I had two days a week teaching and then I had to make up the other work somewhere else. But if I'm completely honest, I wasn't really properly freelance because I had two employers. So we're going to talk about that later yeah. because I spent a long time thinking <laughs> I wasn't properly freelance either, which is why this podcast is called Properly Freelance um, and had quite a similar journey yeah. of doing part-time things alongside um, work that mm. I did consider to be freelance. So, um, yeah, a very similar thing. But now, kind of five years later, you are definitely properly freelance. So it was interesting that I had these two employers, really, and doing two days a week, one, two days a week, somewhere else. And on that Friday, it was usually a Friday, I would work on my own projects. And gradually, over time, those projects have got more and more significant. So now I'm at the stage where the the part-time projects actually are my full-time work. Sure, sure. And you've had some amazing clients. I was looking on your website. You've had Google, the Financial Times, Innocent Smoothies, PwC and Linklaters. And you've just been to your first international conference. So um, I would say that's that's pretty damn successful. Um, I was talking to another friend about you and the fact that you've run ukulele workshops for Google, etc., Um, And they said to me, you've got to ask her, how on earth did she sell that to them? How does she make money Mm. out of running ukulele workshops? Are you willing to share the secret of your success with us? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a long journey of of um of being paid for this work, and I think it's been a mix of through me doing workshops, which maybe at the beginning I did for a much smaller price. I got to see the value, and I think that although now I look back at how much I charge and feel a bit embarrassed at me underselling myself, I think actually it gave me it was a lot. Um, gave me a lot of confidence to run these workshops, get testimonials, get people saying, actually, this is really valuable. I didn't really know how they could be valuable until I did them. So, so that, is that in terms of sort of the team building value yeah, of it, the value of it to a client yeah, who, exactly. who maybe wouldn't think that they want to learn the ukulele? In a way, it was back, in a way, it was um, in retrospect, I got to start picking out when I when I had kind of follow up calls with the with the groups. I got here. I got to hear things that I maybe hadn't realised would be an impact, and then through that, then it, it changed the way I then communicated about it. Mm-hmm. So with every workshop I do, I can get more information about what it is, and then I can start planning intentionally. But I think now it's yeah, I have specific skills that I see that these workshops teach. So stuff around developing growth mindset, um, um, getting in touch with your more creative side at work, um, dealing with ambiguity building empathy and all of these things come out of the work I do so I now I I think the shift for me has been from originally talking about it as a ukulele workshop I'm now talking about it as like a skill-based workshop where I happen to use the ukulele right you're so talking that, about it in terms in terms that your client then yeah understands. exactly yeah exactly so that's how you monetize it fantastic yeah. and do you do you honestly make a living out of this I do now yeah you do that's yeah. amazing but it took a while, it's to, taken a while yeah. to get to that point. You had to yeah. do other things along the way exactly, yeah. to support it, yeah. which I think a lot of us did. This is the bit where I intended to introduce one of Sarah's fabulous songs, but I forgot because it was my first time making a podcast and I was just so excited talking to her. You can find more of Sarah's songs by going to YouTube and searching Power of Uke. That's U-K-E. Anyway, here it is, appropriately for the time of year, the tax return song. All the things I do to avoid my tax return. All the things I do to avoid my tax return. All the things I do to avoid my tax return. All the things I do to avoid my tax return. I went for a run to avoid my tax return. Had lunch out with my mum to avoid my tax return. Drank a bottle of rum to avoid my tax return And had homemade dim sum to avoid my tax return All the things I do to avoid my tax return All the things I do, 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 do All the things I do, 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 do Started a PhD to avoid my tax return Moved to the country to avoid my tax return Cut off my knee to avoid my tax return And got rushed to A&E to avoid my tax return Went back to sleep to avoid my tax return. Burnt all my receipts to avoid my tax return. Got an Uber to Leeds to avoid my tax return. And got arrested by police to avoid my tax return. The 31st of January, it is very near. And dear to me, oh dear, when will I do my tax return? 
All the things I do to avoid my tax return I got a taxi with some Texans to avoid my tax return I did somebody else's tax return to avoid my tax return I wrote a song about avoiding my tax return To avoid my tax return I found an accountant to do my tax return And he said, you know, it's funny Because when I look at how much you've earned It's the same as the fee that you now owe me For filing your tax return So the topic that I really wanted to talk about On our first episode, and specifically with you, Sarah Was imposter syndrome Mm. Imposter syndrome, as defined by, well, the internet, but scientist somewhere, is um, a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their accomplishments and has persistent internalised fear of being exposed as a fraud. Mm. I I chose this for the first episode because I think I've had imposter syndrome for a long time about almost all elements of my life, but particularly about my work, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to make the podcast. I think the more we can share these fears that we all seem to have, um, the more we can start to overcome them. So do you want to just say from your perspective whether that's something that you've experienced? Mm. I mean, I've seen stuff you've put on social media, so I kind of know that that you have. Yeah, well, I was thinking kind of the ultimate irony or definition was me feeling, was I um, was experienced enough in imposter syndrome to do this podcast about imposter syndrome, which I think <laughs> probably epitomises the definition. Um, Completely. I, Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it is it's part of doing your own thing where there's often no set rules of how to do things. Um, I think you kind of, as a freelancer, you want to be, there's a saying, isn't there? If you're, you're the most experienced person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And so actually surrounding yourself by people who are, are, you know, you perceive to be further along the journey from you is important, but they I think, pulls you up. Yeah, yeah, but and I think it's managing in the process, the feeling that you're not where you need to be and that you're, you're not really allowed to be there. And I think for me, that manifests as like a real, like I suddenly get like a real anxiety or nerves where like really physical sensations like stage fright, um, where, yeah, often I'm, I just convince myself that the client I'm about to do a workshop for is going to cancel. Um, And pretty much anytime someone emails me who I haven't yet done a workshop with, I think that they're they're emailing to cancel and and that they're going to be like sorry we don't want to you know we finally found out who you really are and I, it's just completely unfounded but I, I it's it's really embedded this fear that um uh, I'm not good enough and it's and almost the point that when people then share the feedback and like usually they're like yeah there's no there's no points for improvement like that was exactly what we wanted and I'm like thank god but you know it's it's like I, I don't know at what point I will start believing that I'm <laughs> like I can do it well this is the interesting thing about imposter syndrome I'm not sure that we really ever get over it mm. um one of the things I was reading I watched an interesting um it was a TED education video mm. that I was watching this week and I was talking about how some really famous people um had admitted to having imposter syndrome and that included Maya Angelou um and Albert Einstein yeah. who both talked about the fact that no matter how many books they'd written or how many Nobel Prizes they'd won, they still had this feeling that somebody would expose them as a fraud. Um, And it actually suggested that maybe maybe syndrome is an inappropriate Mm. word because that suggests that we don't all have it. And perhaps it's actually the case. maybe. Yeah, maybe it's just part of the human condition. Mm. I don't know what purpose it might be serving 
in terms of evolution. Um, mm, but that's it's a good question. definitely quite widespread. Um, I have it massively and I've had it particularly kind of pronounced in relation to work that I do where I'm leading workshops. Mm. So I haven't talk, talked obviously about what I do as a freelancer yet and I'll kind of will um, expand on that over the course of the different podcasts. But one of the things that I do is I run theatre workshops uh, mostly with community groups. And I do have an expertise in this. I have a master's in community theatre and um, I've been doing it for six, seven years. I've set up my own company. People have come to that. Um, I have a group um, specifically of visually impaired people who come theatre workshops we put on shows hardly anybody ever leaves um and it's you know there's lots of things telling me mm. I do know what I'm doing and yet in that particular context I often walk into a room and just get filled with this fear and dread that I don't know what I'm doing and that I will be exposed and it's a bit I mean I have real respect for anyone who's ever been a teacher or works with young people because it's that kind of classic idea of they want you to they want you to mess up. And I know in the work that I do, it's not true. They don't want me to mess up. Everybody's there voluntarily. They want to have a nice time. And yet I still have this kind of feeling of fear and dread. And it's also about comparing yourself to others. Mm. So I really had that feeling in relation to other people that I did my master's course with. I felt like I was there because I had got a good academic record and that maybe that was what the university wanted because it would look good on paper, but that everybody else who was there actually knew how to run theatre workshops. It's interesting how you can convince yourself that you are there by accident. Even yes. when you achieve things, you can say, oh, yeah, but it's just because of this. Yeah, or oh, it's just because that person put me in. Or this, just because there's always a... And I think that's part of imposter syndrome, that the, the we kind of deny and the, the achievements, the accolades we do have. It's, all, it's part of it's the uncomfortableness with celebrating what you have done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of my master's course and the people that I met there, lots of absolutely lovely people, but I, afterwards, for about three years, I avoided ever going to any type of networking or reunion-type sessions because I felt that they would all be much more successful than I had been, and that if I was successful, they would think I didn't deserve it. Oh, wow. Now on a rational yeah. level, I know none of them would think yeah. that, but I didn't go. And then, actually, after about five years, I did go to a kind of alumni event, um, which wasn't billed as a networking session, it was billed as a professional development type event, so I kind of had another justification mm. for going. And it was there that we got into a group conversation and somebody used the phrase imposter syndrome and I'd never heard it before. And I went away and I looked it up and I was so changed by the fact that this person who I really admired and respected and thought was much better than me mm. had admitted to having these types of feelings. And I became quite obsessed with it since then. I wrote a blog about it um, and it's kind of just this little thing that I keep in my pocket now of like, it's okay, we all feel like that maybe it's part of our condition not an actual reflection on our ability absolutely and I, I read a book recently called playing big I don't know if you've heard of it or read it it's on my shelf actually um Tara Moore and it she's she talks about actually this fear that comes up is a really good signal that we are pushing ourselves so when we're in our comfort zone and we're doing even you know if we're feeling good about stuff we usually don't feel this imposter syndrome 
it's when we're stepping out of our comfort zone, even if we've done it millions of times before, but it's something is still feeling new or unfamiliar, that's when we feel it. And actually she, she reframes it and says, well, if we notice it, that means that's a good signal. And rather than feeling scared of it, feeling like actually it's a moment to stop and go, cool, I'm pushing myself to this yeah. new level. And there's also the idea of um, that actually the more you know about something, the less competent you feel. Because if you, if someone said like, oh, taught you some basic Spanish, you'd probably think you knew quite a lot. But once you study it, you're saying, well, I don't speak it fluently. It's like when you learn something at GCSE yeah. and then at A-level, they tell you all of that was wrong yeah. because actually you need to understand it on a more complex level. So you have to unlearn. So you're going back to the Einstein yeah. thing, because there's that quote from him which says, don't worry about your your problems with maths. I assure you mine are, are, are more difficult or mine are worse, right? And because he knows so much at that point that actually he sees what he doesn't know. So there is something around, again, the feeling we don't know enough is a signal we know probably quite a lot. But you're just exposed to it at that yeah, point. That's such a nice way of looking at it, actually. Because um, that, that was what I was going to kind of come mm. on to was saying, what are, for you, what are the ways that we can deal with this? Mm. So just the, the acknowledgement of it, I guess, is the first really important Yeah, way, noticing it? when it comes up and saying, okay. So I and I think I really I've really changed this since reading that book. And when I was at this um the event you were tell you alluded to the other day where I wrote yeah, I wrote this blog post post afterwards about how I'd felt so much fear. But usually I would have I may have before thought, well, I wasn't ready for this. And now it's like, no, it it's cool that I'm feeling that fear. That means this is this is pushing me. Mm. And like if I'm not feeling scared, I'm I'm doing stuff I've done a million times before and have to end up feeling bored yeah well, exactly I think there's a fine line yeah. so yeah. yeah I think that's one thing is seeing that the imposter syndrome is like I start to like play a little bit with it now so one of the, I had a, a thing the other day where I'm part of this network um which is for law firms and people who do training for law firms now I don't know how I got into this network a bit <laughs> like I, I think someone told me about someone who like added me to a list I've like I basically I got invited to an so event. So you feel like you don't. I felt like an imposter, <laughs> but I got invited to this networking event. This was a couple of weeks ago, and it was on the thirty-third floor of a um, you know law firm in the city. And just as I was arriving, I reread the invitation. It was like business dress, and I was wearing like a floaty summer dress and, and flip flops. I mean, that's what you wear to go about your business. Yeah, it so. is. It was very me, but it wasn't like appropriate. Yeah. Anyway, I arrive at this thing. And like everyone's in suits and there's this beautiful sunset and I had my badge and it said power of uke and everyone when it was like training for law firms it was like how to write and how to like do negotiation skills it wasn't ukulele workshops so, so like suddenly everyone's like oh how interesting and I felt myself like I was like okay this is a, I pushed myself but this is a step too far I am totally shouldn't be here it was like the biggest imposter syndrome I've ever felt. Like I felt embarrassed about what I was wearing. I felt like I honestly I was going bright red. Everyone that spoke to me was like, "What oh, law firms buy that?" And I was like, "Yeah," which is like not true. Like one law firm did a taster with me, and that's why I'm there. Anyway, yeah. I just had, I basically completely bullshitted and was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." But by the it was really interesting. I was like, "Okay, I either go home because this is just so awkward, or I just like." play with this a bit yeah like yeah I'm different and I'm and this isn't my world and by the end of it I had all these people coming up to me being like I love what you do let's yeah. let's get you let's chat more like and I thought maybe there's something around see when it when it's that extreme going let's have some fun well that's the other side of it isn't it because there's you can acknowledge it and you can sort of try to keep it at bay 
but then also you can just go in there and, like you say, you can bullshit. I kind of feel like there are a lot of people in the world who are very willing to yeah. go in and bullshit. And I actually think that we're taught to do this. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like maybe it's another episode which is about... Um, the things we get taught about how to be a good business person mm. and you did you did a business accelerator did you or I was on one kind? and I taught one yeah yeah so you've been through that kind of process and I know that as part of those processes there's always a lot of talk of um you know you've got to have your elevator pitch you've got to know how to sell yourself you've mm. got to exude confidence and I can understand why that is part of the kind of conversation mm. around um launching a business but I also think it totally goes against this idea that actually we're all feeling the total opposite yeah. and I kind of wonder what the place is of actually just going in and bullshitting even when you don't believe it yourself um is that a good thing to do sometimes you maybe have to and you get a good result like you did well yeah and I, when I say bullshitting I didn't mean lying I suppose I just meant <laughs> going into a space where I was like yes I do do this I mean it was kind of a little bit of um a I suppose being economical with the truth, they were saying to me, oh, so you work with lots of law firms. And I said, I work with lots of companies, which is true. And I said, yeah. I am in conversation with lots of law firms, which is also true. Yeah. But I had, I felt like, and they were like, what is, what gives you the right to be here? And like, not, they didn't say those words, but they said, what are your credentials? And like, I was like, well, I've done this. And actually, I felt like I was under attack. And then I just took a deep breath and I was like, everyone is in here because they're also a bit I don't think anyone really knows what they're doing here yeah you know yeah, I, yeah. I think I just had to own it basically yeah. so there's owning yeah it. owning it yeah that's a useful type sorry of yeah, yeah getting to it owning it and yeah. just being confident in what you can offer I yeah. guess the, the really unuseful kind is what you see on The Apprentice mm. where these people have outright lied on their CVs yeah. and that kind of bullshitting from other freelancers is what makes people like us actually feel really crap about ourselves yeah. because we're looking at them going well how did how did they get to where they are and the truth is they're not really where they are they're just yeah. putting on some kind of facade so I think it's quite yeah. interesting that we are kind of taught to do that but we have to know where to kind of stop and how to um, and serve I, a different purpose. I think there's something around the more you say it the more you'll believe it so I was at a networking event with someone the other day who is about to launch a business and they're thinking about it and they're in the initial stages. And when people said, what are you doing? She was very honest and she said, oh, I'm thinking about maybe. And I was like, just say I'm launching a business because mm. you, we, we can be economical with the use of the present tense. Yeah. <laughs> I am launching could mean you are at some point or it can mean right now. So it's starting to be in that world where you yeah. say, I'm, I'm just going to see how it, I think it's that, it's seeing how it feels to say it. Yeah. So just being playful and, and and starting to yeah to play around with what it would mean to say things that weren't like that you maybe don't believe but what would it mean to say it yeah well I think we have to all yeah. take something from the fact that everyone who ever made it went through that and they probably had to yeah like you say be economical with language yeah. at one point or another and we shouldn't kind of um, beat ourselves up about the fact that we're um, you know inflating what we do we're actually like you say trying out the language and, and people yeah, really aren't important. really going to check stuff like they're going to buy from you and they're going to want to work with you as a freelancer so you know if it if it was the most important thing to them that you had worked with a specific company then that would be a deal breaker so it doesn't matter but most of the time they've got a sense of like what who they want to work with and I think it's actually about making a good impression and an honest impression. It's, it's a really fine balance. So yeah, I suppose like other things that I do to like keep it at bay. I think sharing actually, like taking the time 
to share with people like that I found so scary and like you know voice that but also celebrate so really taking the time when I have been through something where I felt like a real imposter someone either another freelancer or a friend or a family member or my coach and say like wow let's just take the time to acknowledge what you just did and what what you just went through Mm. and I try and do that with other freelancer friends as well because often we are trying so hard to get somewhere and then when we get there we're already on the next goal and we never stop and take stock of where we are at so that's a big thing for me yeah so looking back I've found that useful sometimes with projects that I've worked on to look back at say the funding application or the plan or just you know just look back at some documentation of something that I did three years ago and go oh yeah actually I have grown and learned a lot Mm. from that point because it's so gradual when it's happening to you and you're so kind of in it Um, but if you then look back and take stock yeah it makes a big difference doesn't it it was interesting what you said earlier about it being a condition a human condition because I also wonder like what would it be like if we never felt imposter syndrome like if we always felt like we were totally supposed to be everywhere and that there was nothing that was going to be scary about it Mm. I think we would get bored I, I don't think, think stuff might go challenged. wrong as well because I yeah, my imposter syndrome makes me be a meticulous planner mm. um, especially for like workshops and stuff that I'm kind of in charge of and sometimes that planning is maybe a bit unnecessary but often when I see a session that is less successful in my eyes maybe run by somebody else it does seem to come down to a slight lack of planning and maybe it is because there's mm. a bit of um, complacency mm. there. Yeah, so that's interesting, isn't it, about whether it's a, it does, when you don't feel like an imposter, do you get complacent? And I, I, spoke, I spoke to a comedian the other day who said, I, I need to feel nervous, otherwise I stop being present. Yeah. I, I need the anxiety and the, the, the fear of, otherwise, otherwise I walk on and I'm not really actually there. Yeah. It's just exhausting to feel like that forever. I think you, as, you, mm. as you kind of get more experienced and move on in your career, you, ha- you kind of get to a point where you're like, I can't deal with feeling like this all the time so you have to learn to kind of calm it down a little bit and not let that feeling kind of rule your every waking minute I think it's also that if the imposter syndrome comes when you're like doing something new or scary um, then it's about balancing that with things that you know that you're going to feel good about and where you really are in your comfort zone constantly dancing between those two So making sure in your like in your portfolio or your your kind of your next few months, you have some things that are going to really stretch you, but also some like some of those just like mediocre tasks that you just know how to do. Or like maybe it's going to be in a a teacher expert role where you're going to be sharing. Do you see what I mean? So you're kind of you're balancing that out. Yeah, it's definitely true. It's something I've been thinking about a lot lately in terms of the work that I do and the variety of different work that I do and actually realizing after a long time of thinking that I was working towards one thing I've come to acknowledge that I actually really appreciate some variety and part of that is to do with not spending all of my days in roles where I have this very intense feeling of imposter syndrome because they're the ones that stretch you they're also the ones that stress you out and wake you in the night and all of that what have been your ways of dealing with it Um, I think, yeah, coming to acknowledge it has been a really big way of dealing with it, really important for me. And actually, it's kind of started to shape a bit the way that I go about my work. So I've specifically chosen within my community theatre work that I want to work with adults. And a big part of that is not wanting that feeling of walking into a classroom where a group of 
children or 15 year olds or whatever might want to mm. undermine you and I'm not saying that all groups of 15 year olds would want to undermine you but I have a lot of respect for people that can do that I've decided that I really like working with adults because I can work in a very honest and open way mm. so all the groups that I work with they are there by choice and although we have loads of disagreements and loads of um, difficult and awkward conversations the bottom line is that I can be very open and honest with them and if we can't agree on something nobody is being forced to stay in that room so that's become a kind of quite integral part of my creative practice is that it's an honest and open mm. process so most of the theatre work that I make is devised and collaborative and as much as possible we're trying to use ideas from across the group so we have this kind of transparency of people being able to see where the ideas came from and how they ended up in the final piece. And that actually allows me to be very much myself, to be transparent, to be open. And I, I feel like that helps me with imposter mm. syndrome because I can be open about that with a group as well. Yeah. I can say to a group, I don't know how this is going to go today. This is yeah. a new thing for me. Um, and I'm not sure you could say that if you walked into a room no. with Google. Um, That's interesting. But, I've, but yeah. for me, I've found that that's a really good way of sort of keeping it under control. Naming it so that everyone actually is where with you. Yeah, because chances are there's lots of other people in the room who are experiencing that as well, especially in the kind of settings that I work in. Um, so I'm very lucky that I work in a context where it can be named. But then I get that could extend to someone like yourself if you're running a workshop in a corporate setting because you're you're asking them to step out of their comfort zone, actually. Absolutely. You're out of your comfort zone at Google. Absolutely. But Google employees are almost definitely out of their comfort zone playing a ukulele. Well, absolutely. And so it's about, yeah, for me, it's about finding a level of honesty that... Um, yeah. And even if I don't it. share it with them, I can tap into it in order to build empathy and hold the space. Mm. So by knowing I'm feeling out of my comfort zone, I can go, that's probably how they're feeling about this. Yeah. So you know what I mean? You can, you can tap into that. I think it's just really important for us to all talk about it the, mm. the more we know that everyone's got it the more we realize it can't be real because it's not possible for everyone to be an imposter that's just not that's not how the world works um it's actually imposter syndrome is the background to why this podcast mm. is called properly freelance yeah because i spent seven or eight years as a self-employed person but not thinking that i was in uh, speech quotations properly freelance so um, what's properly freelance then? Who knows? That's, I think that might be one of the things that we might be exploring over the... <laughs> what did it mean to you? Like, how did you know you were properly freelance? For me, I wasn't properly freelance yeah. because I was self-employed, but I had a client who gave me a, a rolling contract, essentially, to do a particular job for a particular number of days a week. Um, and it was a very small company... Um, and they were kind of just starting out. I was the first kind of paid member of staff in that type of role that they'd had. Um, so it made sense that it was a freelance contract. Um, however, I didn't view it as a proper freelance contract because I didn't have to go and hunt down mm. my own work. What were you saying about um, the Freelancers Anonymous earlier? So we used to have, at the Impact Hub in Brixton, we used to have something called Freelancers Anonymous, which was um, on a Monday morning we could go and meet other freelancers and set goals for the week and that kind of thing um, and it was called Freelancers Anonymous to encourage anyone to come along whether you were kind of running your own business or just a sole trader um, 
But funnily, I used to go to it and I used to sit there thinking, oh, I don't, I don't belong here because I'm not a proper freelancer. Because other people used to be talking about things like, oh, looking for work. And some people would be doing things like um, trying to find a company to do cold calling for them to get them work. And I'd be sitting there thinking, oh, my God, that is so stressful. I don't ever want to do that. Um, and in the same time, you know, feeling like, oh, I don't even belong in this kind of freelancer's yeah. therapy session. And then this year, I actually jacked in the ongoing work and am making 100% of my mm. still quite small income from more ad hoc work. I do have some ongoing projects, but I'm not in any sense working for anybody else in an ongoing way. So for me, that's mm. kind of I, what I've been saying to people is I'm properly freelance yeah, now. I had the same shift um, at the beginning of 2018. From like I had a company that I was working for quite regularly, and to be honest, that was paying a lot of my way. Yeah. And then I took that away, and I was like, "Oh God, this is horrible." It's really hard. It's really hard making Have that you shift. Not enjoyed it. So I, I now, I didn't enjoy the first few months because I think I felt a, few, a huge pressure to find that money. And it, 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 the thing is, if you're going into a client meeting feeling like they need to pay your rent, that's a horrible energy. Yeah. <laughs> you know and it's a lot to put on things so like getting myself up to a place where I had enough of regular work coming in or not regular work but I had enough kind of of a backlog of work mm. so I could relax into it but yeah the first few months were really tough and I and I did consider applying applying for full-time jobs and oh, I did apply thing, isn't it? I did like apply for a full-time job how yeah. long shall I hold out before I cave and yeah. apply for something and but I've had that almost every month this year yeah um but I have I've totally enjoyed the transition um I just have got so, I'm actually I'm working fewer hours like yeah. I've decided that I don't want to work as many hours as I was working before yeah. and that I'm going to do a whole another episode on kind of chronic illness and work-life mm. balance and all of those things but for me just on a personal level it's been worth the pay cut and I've taken a big pay cut to be able to decide on my own workload um and I still I'm still struggling some months to get as much work Mm. as I would like um but I've resisted the full-time job applications so far it's really interesting I did apply for full-time job in June because I had this sense that like my skills weren't being utilized and I was just like I'm sick of this because I was like, well, how long is this going to go on for that I just have to find my work all the time? Mm. Anyway, it was interesting because I applied for a full-time job. I was interviewed and he asked me what I did normally. And when I told him, I was like, oh my God, I have a great life. <laughs> and like by the end of the interview, I was like, I got to re-choose myself as a freelancer because I was looking at this company being oh, like, that's, that's amazing. They have like 30 days holiday a year. And I was like, I have 365 <laughs> if I want it. <laughs> Like I have a great, I've got a great package here. Yeah, <laughs> so it was, it. it was honestly since I, and then I, they didn't take me through to the next round, and I was like, no, but it's totally perfect because I got to see, I had to almost like flirt a little bit, go on a date with the opposite idea yeah. of like, what would it be like? Because I, it kept coming mm. up. I went there, and I was like, no, actually, I have so much freedom, and you know, making waking up most days and deciding how to spend my time, which. Yeah. from being in a secondary school teacher where like that it's the opposite of that life and where you're waking up in the middle of the night to get mm, to school that was horrible I mean for three years I I was just miserable if I'm honest like not not the job but the kind of waking up and the, the, yeah. the just the lack of autonomy you have over your time apart from in the holidays so I think for me that autonomy is so important that yeah. I I you know actually one, since I've chosen that I feel also the money's come in as well yeah oh it's, it's so kind nice of to yeah hear someone talks so positively about it and I you know I really want the um kind of podcast to 
be um, a positive thing as well as allowing people mm. to kind of share. As we were saying earlier before we started recording, we were talking about how it might be a way of sharing despair. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want that to be kind of in a, in a light way and also sharing that joy because, you know, it is such a joy to wake up every day and know that you're in charge yeah. of what you're doing and you don't have to answer to somebody else. Um, and I hope that, you know, people who are listening will sort of take that um, and really and really be and sort of inspired by it. So that leads quite nicely on to my closing questions that I'm hopefully going to be asking to each guest. Um, we'll get to the positive one mm. in a minute and you can close on a positive. Um, but firstly, the it doesn't have to be negative, but maybe slightly frustrating one. Um, what is the most annoying or ridiculous or frustrating mm. thing that you have had to do this week because you're a freelancer? So something that you maybe wouldn't have had to do if you worked in an office or had a nine to five job. Well, I think there's there's two things I want to mention. One is from this week, but one is more generally. The thing from this week is that I, I did a coaching course at the weekend and I most of the people there were getting it paid for by their organisation and I had to pay for it myself, which is fine. And you didn't get paid to go either. No, of course, but it was a weekend. But I think what I realised is, well, I have to be in charge of my own CPD. I have to, yeah. I have to still develop myself. How great that I get to choose what I want to do. But it is, you know you're really having to invest in yourself and you when you're working in a company that just comes like you get sent on courses and you know it's, yeah, it's I, just it just made me more aware of it really I yeah. always think whenever I see um training opportunities I always think oh well most of I have some sort of regular-ish mm. clients and I think oh a lot of them would be happy to contribute a bit towards me doing this but none of them are going to want to pay for the whole cost yeah. of me doing this so is there a way that I could you know email them all and ask them to yeah. pay 20 quid each it's worth trying isn't it but no, I mean, think what you actually have to do is factor it into your pricing don't yeah, you absolutely which is another episode absolutely as well, so I, yeah, I mean I think I do invest in myself through training I suppose it just was like oh because I spoke to a few people and and they were like yeah yeah my company's paying for this and I was like wow it's, it's a different engagement but you know it's, it's it's not terrible it's just something that I became aware of yeah. and I suppose the other thing this is more an ongoing stuff but when you have a full-time job, people think you're busy. <laughs> and when you're freelance, people think that you don't work. Or there's a sense of like, oh, well, Sarah's free because she's like doesn't have a full-time job. And I, I think especially over the last few years, lots of friends getting married and like certain things that were coming up where I suddenly felt like my time was eaten away by stuff that I don't think I'd be asked to do. And, and partly it's my own fault for putting about not boundaries in. So I think that's the other thing. Like, when you have all day every day you've got to be so boundaried about what you say yes to because yeah. actually you can meet someone for coffee and you can go and do this and you can do that and it's I've had to get really good at seeing like what actually do I need to do now because it's always going to feel more exciting to go and meet someone for coffee than work on your website yeah. or you were saying before yeah. that you even had a complex about whether to give no. any time to do a podcast yeah I know and yeah it's true isn't but it? I did I felt into it and I was like no I but I really would like to do this and um and but it is I think that's one of the hardest things about being freelance is is being boundaried about your time and and also because you suddenly have the opportunity to do all these things what like there's there's I, I flux between suddenly opening up all these opportunities and like this huge amazing menu of things and then being like oh god I've taken on too much and I haven't actually like, reached out to any clients so yeah. it's being like you want to get the best out of having the time being your own but also making sure that you 
still do some of the money earning stuff because yeah. I think that's what that's where I found it it's hard. It's very easy to say yes and then suddenly realise that you've got three days where you don't actually have any time to do any work. Is mm. it? I work a lot in Suffolk where my family live, although I'm based in London. And every time I go to Suffolk, um, I have this kind of complex about whether to spend more time with my little niece and nephew yeah. or whether to um, just get on with work because I've always got loads to do. And some weeks I'll just think, oh, well, I'm just going to hang out with them for yeah. a bit and then three days will have passed. But I think that's also... I, that I, you know, I've, I've really loved that about being freelance recently, that I can make those choices. You know, I've had friends who've um, needed me to look after their babies and actually like how great that I can do that yeah. how great or like yeah, when yeah. I'm you know I went to a conference a couple of weeks ago and then the next day I was so tired and I was like well I can spend the day chilling yeah. you know and whereas if I had to go to a full-time job I think there's that flexibility yeah. but with that comes the need to be it's just it's just learning those boundaries um, so my um annoying thing that I did this week oh, yeah. because of being freelance is that I picked up the phone and it was about quarter to seven um, and I was just starting to peel some carrots for my dinner. But of course, when you're freelance, you have the same phone sometimes for your uh, personal work life and you pick it up because you don't know if it's going to yeah. be, you know, a friend asking you to go and have a nice evening with them or if it's <laughs> just going to be. It was HMRC doing their survey. And I'd had a letter saying that HMRC would be uh, contacting me about mm. their survey because they're surveying small businesses. Um, and when you're freelancing, you're a small business, apparently, even though you're just like oh. your name. Yeah, you are a small business of yourself. Oh, right. My business, yeah, called Jenny Elborn. Um, so anyway, I picked up the phone and this lovely young man with a kind of northern accent. Always said, gets you. Oh, I know. I'm so bad <laughs> at saying no. He said, um, I'm phoning from such and such on behalf of HMRC. Would you mind sparing a few minutes to um, complete this survey? And I kind of thought, well, maybe I should, because, you know, we like to complain about HMRC. So it'd be good to actually give some feedback yeah. rather than just complaining on social media. Good on you. <laughs> so I said, OK. Um, and I said, how long will it take? And he said, 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, I thought that's actually a bit longer than I was anticipating. But I'd already said yes. And you can't, I can't take it back. I couldn't say no. Why I think not? that's Well, I think that's about bigger freelancer as well, because we've learned to... You mustn't say no in case you never get another opportunity or oh, something. Not that this that's was... also another episode. I know, I'd love this was monetized, that. But, but for some reason I just oh. couldn't say no. So I said, well, I'm going to put you on speakerphone so I can carry on peeling my carrots. Hello. And I was just peeling my carrots into the phone. Um, multitasking. Multitasking. Great freelancing. And the, the guy on the other end started to speak. I've never heard anyone speak so fast. He was like a chipmunk on speed or something. He just started speaking so fast. And he said about 20 times, he said, um, how would you rate your agreement with the following sentence on a scale of one to five, where one is don't agree at all and five is I agree completely. And even though every single question was the same format, he had to oh say that God, every time. Okay. And the survey went on for 21 minutes. That was the length of the phone call, even at the most ridiculous uh, talking speed. So his 15 minutes was just a lie. Um, and by the time he finished, I'd just kind of done all of the food prep that I could do. And was actually just waiting for him to get off the phone. Um, and afterwards I thought, God, 21 minutes of my time, that's worth quite a lot of money. Yeah, um, should, I think you should have hung out, mate. <laughs> I would have hung up. <laughs> I'm never going to get that time back, am I? But this yeah. is great because you've seen it and now next time you might... Well, and I've given my feedback, so I I expect, you know, HMRC to give me perfect service from now on. It's not that bad, 21 minutes. But yeah, that thing of like, oh, I might not get another opportunity that's really 
there's a great book called Essentialism, which I recommend around that. Yeah, and he talks a lot about how often when an opportunity comes our way, we will think, oh my God, I can't turn this opportunity down. It's like, but you five minutes ago, you didn't want that opportunity. So it's not a good opportunity yeah. if you don't want it. <laughs> so, and then you, suddenly you convince yourself that you have to have it and that you just do such a huge loss to your life. And it's like, no, I didn't even know about it two minutes ago. So it's oh, not a loss. so true, isn't it? Yeah, how quickly we get kind yeah. of wrapped up in the moment of all this thing that's being offered to us it's and like how a, we need it. A client will reach out and so then I like will in my head be like, oh, well, that's that money I've got now. And then they go, actually, no, we can't do it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've just lost, like, all this money. And I'm like, no, you haven't lost anything. <laughs> you just didn't yeah, get it. Yeah, I will factor <laughs> things so in. So catastrophizing. I have this thing when I'm in the shower in the mornings, I like to yeah. kind of try and work out if I'm going to earn enough money that month to eat. It's just a thing that I do in the shower. And <laughs> what I a lovely always, shower time. And I always factor in any bit of work that's kind of even tentatively yeah, yeah. minutely possible. And then when it doesn't happen, it's yeah. awful. It's difficult, though, because in my spreadsheet, I do put in the things where there's we're starting to have conversations because I'm like, I want to feel like it's happening and I want to account for it. But then you have to also be like, but if I don't, you kind of have to have like the dream spreadsheet and the realistic spreadsheet. Yeah. Spreadsheets. That's a good topic. Oh my God. Loads of podcasts. So so great. Um, So to close on, to close on a positive. Yeah. What was the best thing about freelancing for you this week? What was something that happened that you wouldn't have been able to do if you weren't a freelancer? Yeah. I mean, I think it's the, just having such a varied week. Like I went for a meeting today at Bloomberg and like when I felt like I was in the future and I was like, this is amazing. Basically I got in the lift. I, they took a photo of me, got in the lift, went out the lift. And when I got to the top, there were loads of us in the lift, bearing in mind. This woman was like, Sarah. And like, she was there to meet me from my photo. Like she had it, she knew who I was. And I was like, oh my God. That's a good thing. I know, but it was like, I felt like I was in Black Mirror or something. It was crazy. <laughs> so I was like, this is cool. And then I, you know, now I'm doing this podcast and then later on I'm going to collect some ukuleles from a guy I've met through freelancing. Crazy day. But like every day is really unique. And I think one thing that particularly I thought of today was that I went to H&M and there was like three people in the shop and I got to like calmly try on clothes and, you know, peruse where at the weekend it's just horrendous. I know it's a silly thing, but it actually like shopping in a car in the middle of the day is a real luxury. Yeah, it makes a difference to your life. Mine is very similar. So the best thing that I've done this week that I couldn't have done if I had a nine to five is that I went swimming yeah. at eleven o'clock yeah. in the morning and I had the entire swimming pool to myself. Was that a Brookwell Lido? Uh at Brixton Rec. Brixton, yeah, right yeah. next to the impact hub. So, yeah, I don't go to the Lido. I'm I'm a very, very cold person. Oh. <laughs> I don't do Lidos. Um but Brixton Rec, yeah. And it was just so nice. And you you know, if you go on a weekend when it's open, especially when there's when kids are allowed in because it's mm. um, outside of school time, absolute nightmare. And just so nice. And I do actually feel like having the time and space to do stuff like that when places are quiet yeah. is one of the things that also makes you feel more sort of nourished and prepared for some of the harder things about yeah. being a freelancer. Like being able to go to the shops when it's quieter you might actually be able to save money because you can think yeah, better about, you know, how to do mm. that and what you actually need. And it gives you headspace. Yeah. And I just try to use that headspace to my advantage to make up for some yeah. of the more downsides of, of freelancing. Yeah. I think for me, the flexibility and variety, like the fact that I can, I feel much more present because I can, so like Monday night we had some friends over and we ended up singing till like one in the morning and just yeah. having this big jam. And I think, you know, if I had to go to work, I might have been like, oh, I should go to bed or I might have been tired the next day. And it's like, I then just 
change my routine a bit the next day and you just be a bit more in the moment with what you need and you know, a bit more a bit more present I think yeah it's brilliant well here's to um 11 o'clock in the morning swimming and shopping centers that are yeah. super quiet and thank you so much for thank being you. my very first podcast guest and hopefully we'll have you back on yeah. for another episode so uh, great this has Thanks. taken off and got millions of listeners Yay. hi everyone <laughs> keep being freelance you got it You've been listening to Properly Freelance with Jenny Elborn. My guest and provider of my theme music was Sarah Wyler, and the podcast is supported by Impact Hub Brixton.